Well, Lake Forest, that's a great opportunity that uh, we have and we're being invited into. What I loved what Sam had to say there is he said, it wasn't just about you know, going and building a home, but it's also about building relationships with people. And if we can be that kind of people, that kind of church, I believe God is honored in the mix. Well, it's a joy to be with you. And if you're new to, to Lake Forest, my name is Bob DeBoer, and I'm the pastor of Connections and Spiritual Formation here at this church. And just a couple weeks ago, I mentioned from, the, from this st- little stage right here that the pastors that have been preaching here have been a lot better looking since Aaron has gone away on sabbatical. <laughs> and people kind of affirmed, gave a lot of thumbs up. Well, I hate to tell you, all good things must come to an end. You've got me today. Today, Holly Worsley was going to bring the word to us, but she had something happening in Davidson, and so I'm filling in for her. So we'll step it up again when she comes in July. But, but thank you so much for letting me be here and to bring God's word to you this morning. One of the exciting things about coming to Lake Forest for me personally is that we're in this, this series called The Whole Story a place where we're looking at all the pages of Scripture to see God's redeeming hand, His story, throughout history and in our lives personally. And what an exciting thing for us to to join into that journey together. Well, today, we're going to pick up the story in the book of Isaiah the prophet. This is a fabulous book filled with rich theology, rich history, great prophecy, and great imagery all the way through it. And it is the book that is quoted in the New Testament more often than any of the prophetic books altogether. So it's an important book for us to understand as God's people. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take a moment after Nathan reads the passage, I'm going to explain the passage as the context of the day, and then we're going to unpack it together um, as God's people. So let's come to the Lord in prayer at this time. Lord God, we thank you that you love us with an eternal love that is hard to sometimes imagine. And Lord, we want you to speak to us today. We ask, Lord, that you'd remove all the obstacles from hearing you speak and for our hearts to receive that word. And so, God, lead us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear these words. Oh, hello. (laughs) It's Nathan again. Hear these words from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 12. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low self-esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Friends, this is a powerful word that we have before us. And as we think about this passage from Isaiah, the one thing that we need to understand is in the book of Isaiah, there's two main themes that are going on. The first theme is that of judgment, that God is going to judge sin and rebellion against him. And the second message is the promise of hope, the promise of restoration, the promise of a deliverer for God's people. And if you remember last week, Mike Moses brought to us a message reminding us that the people had asked for a king, and God gave it to them. But king after king rebelled against God, and they found themselves captured, defeated, enslaved, and in oppression to the people around them. And in the midst of this, God declares that he would punish their sin. He would punish those people who would oppress his people, but he would also punish the sin of rebellion of God's people, and that he would promise him this deliverer. And so he asked this question at the beginning of this passage. He says, do you, who has believed our message? And a question that we should be asking ourselves during the time of this message and, and going forward from here is, do we believe the message of God's deliverer? Do we believe it? Do we follow after it? And maybe a follow-up question is, how are you responding in faith to this deliverer? Well, Isaiah begins with this imagery of the arm of the Lord. He says, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? We need to understand who the arm of the Lord is if we're going to make sense of this passage. If you go back to Exodus chapter 6, what, what God does is he seizes people in slavery and he says to them, I will redeem you, says the Lord God Almighty. I will redeem you with my outstretched arm. What God does is he describes himself as this one of power and strength, and he uses the image of an outstretched arm. And just a chapter earlier in Isaiah 52, we hear again this about the Lord. He says, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The picture of God and his strength is a picture of him with an outstretched arm. 
It's his work of deliverance to save us, to redeem us, and he has the power and the might to do so. But in Isaiah chapter 53, it shifts because instead of God being the one who would step in to be the deliverer, the strength to save, he goes instead and he reveals that he will send someone, a person, to be that arm for him. We might call him God's right-hand man. Maybe for some they'd say he's that strong arm of the law. But I imagine in the people of Isaiah's time, they were expecting this person that was strong and mighty, who was victorious, who came with all these kind of things that we expect a, a deliverer to be. But listen to the words that Isaiah uses to describe this deliverer. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, and we held him in low esteem. Probably not the person, the people who are experiencing oppression, who needed deliverance, was expecting, was he? Later on, he even says, I remember if you heard Nathan say, he was someone by, that people would hide their faces from. Now, I know what that's like personally. And I'm not trying to be self-deprecating, but I had a chance to do a mission a summer in the, the place of Trinidad. And when I was down on this island, uh, I was messing around with, with cashews. I love cashews, but these were raw, and I think I got some oils from the cashew on my hands. Well, it's a hot culture, and you know, I sweat a lot, so I, was, I maybe wiped my sweat out of my eyes or something like that, and I found shortly after that that my face began to just swell up. I swelled up so much that my, my hand, my eyes, I could just had slits I could see out of. And I don't know what happened here with the people or my host, but she gave me directions to town to go and find a pharmacy to take care of my issue. Well, you can imagine a culture where myself and my two other teammates were the only white folks around. We already were novelties, but now I'm walking down the streets in this condition. And through the slits in my eyes, what I could see was that people who saw me would go to the other side of the street. I saw other people duck into buildings, wondering who this monster was coming down the street. I was just trying to find some medication. And you know, I can experience something like that, and it's an isolated instance, but think about what it means that this deliverer that God would promise people would hide their faces from. He says in this passage that he was despised and rejected. The word despised literally means he was taken lightly. He was kind of laughed at. He was kind of a nobody. And what would the people that day feel about this being the description of the one who would be the arm of the Lord? Well, Isaiah 4 to 6 comes, and then he says, well, why does this deliverer come? And he uses strong words. Did you notice that? Words like oppression, suffering, pain. And he un helped us understand that the, that the people of the day needed deliverance. But the problem was the people were often blind to their own need. They saw the sin of the people who captured them. They failed to see that their own rebellion was that they ran away from God. And so Isaiah uses strong words as, such as transgressions and iniquities to help them to see the seriousness of their sin, their rebellion before God. 
and he likens them to sheep who had gone astray. And here's where Isaiah shares some radical news to God's people. He shares what the deliverer would do for them. Here again, these words from verse 10-11. He says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hands. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge of my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Isaiah declares that this deliverer would make his life as an offering for their sin. He would bear their iniquities. He would bear their shame. He would bear their guilt. The servant would do this in order to justify the many. He would take on the just penalty that they deserved, and he would place it on himself to make them right before God. I'm sure, friends, that these were radical words to people who had no idea what this would look like and wonder what God was up to. But then along comes Jesus. And in John chapter 12, listen to these words. He says, after Jesus had performed many signs, many miracles in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed the message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. John testifies that Jesus is the one that Isaiah saw 600 plus years before, that he was the strong arm of the Lord. He was the deliverer that God had promised for us, his people. And so it's absolutely crucial for us to understand who this Jesus is, why he came, and what he does for us. Why is it so difficult for us to personally believe that Jesus is our deliverer? Do you ever find yourself struggling with that? I know I do. I don't struggle with this intellectual ascent that Jesus is who he is and what he did, but often what I find in my life is that I fail to really live out what I believe. My life doesn't always line up with what I declare. And there's many times I, I feel like I identify with the, with the person in Mark chapter 9 who has a son who is demon-possessed. And in this, he comes to Jesus and he says, you know, if you can, would you just heal my son? And Jesus says, if I can, do you believe? And the man says back to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do you ever find yourself in that place in life where you believe, but you also have this part of you that just has a difficulty to really truly believing down deep that Jesus is who he says he is, and he does what he, calls, he says he will do? And so in the midst of this, many times we find that difficulty in believing in our hearts and lives. There are times we want to glean on our own actions like going to church or reading the Bible or doing good things as a way for God to see how good we are. 
there's other times we look at the pain in the world, the suffering in the world, and we see things like COVID, we think of racism, we think of human trafficking, and we wonder, God, where are you? Because these questions and struggles are part of our stories, it's so crucial for us to understand who this Jesus really is. So who is he? The people in Isaiah's day were looking for a strong and mighty figure to save them. The people in Jesus' day were looking for the same. And I believe we look to Jesus to be that in our hearts and our lives as well. But think for a moment just about who Jesus is when he came into this world. He left the glories of heaven and he came and was born in a dirty stable. He was born in the midst of scandal. He was on the run through persecution. And then he ended up in an obscure village as the son of a carpenter. Throughout his life, he was despised and rejected, and people would turn on him time and time again, even to the point where he's brought to the death on a cross. For so much of the world, the ordinariness of Jesus is, is an affront, isn't it? We want a strong, we want a captivating, we want a charismatic leader. We want people we can look up to. Now, friends, you recently just hired me as one of your pastors. And I imagine for you guys, you have certain hopes and expectations of what that means, what that looks like. You know, for some, you may look at me and say, okay, here's Bob DeBoer, but this is what we really hope and we expect for is this picture, if it comes up. <laughs> now, I don't think you expect me to leap over tall buildings, but maybe you expect me to take care of all the needs of spiritual formation in the church and handle them with ease. For some, you expect maybe this. You expect me to be this great scholar to pontificate the very mysteries of the faith, to explain who God is and his word to you fully. And maybe you expect this. Yes, that's my favorite. Maybe you expect me just to be this ooze, holiness and righteousness, self-sacrifice all the time. But friends, I want to tell you this. You hired Bob DeBoer, a guy who lived and grew up in Iowa, who has served the Lord for 30 years. And every day of that 30 years, I have been amazed that God could use an ordinary guy like me. I'm amazed by it. And sometimes when we look for the extraordinary, we also look for in our spiritual lives too, the way we approach God. We want God to transform our hearts and lives. I think all of us want that, but I believe we want to have it happen instantly, don't we? We want to read the book, Three Easy Steps to Complete Holiness, right? Put that in practice and we're good to go. But we don't want to read what Eugene Peterson wrote. He wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And in this book, he talks about just the daily obedience, the daily following of Jesus that happens. And often in the midst of those trials and difficulties in life, God is doing his work of transforming us more and more into his image. We want God to speak to us, don't we? But we want God to speak and give us guidance through the miraculous, to hear him speaking out loud to us maybe, but be clear and compelling to us. We want God to shout out, Emma, take that job. Joe, marry that girl. 
Aaron, start drinking decaf. You know, we, we want those clear directions, don't we? But I think we all experience that we don't hear God guide us that way. And in 30 years of ministry, what I have discovered is that probably the reason I'm passionate about spiritual formation is that it's that time in God's Word. It's that time where we just learn who the character of God is, His nature, His wills, and His desires. When we allow that to permeate who we are, what God does is He gives us His guidance in those places in life as we hear His voice and we follow Him as He's been formed in us. The armor of the Lord was not a military figure. It was not someone who was seen as victorious and triumphant. He was described by God as a servant. He came to serve the Father's purposes, and his purpose was to redeem a fallen world. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So why did Jesus come? I believe verse 6 kind of summarizes why he came. He says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now many people, when they ask me, they say they find out that I'm from Iowa, they assume that everybody from Iowa lives on farms. It's actually not true. Most people live in cities or communities. But that being said, I did grow up on a farm, okay? And my last name is DeBoer, not DeBoer, DeBoer. And what it means in Dutch is the farmer. So it's maybe apropos that I lived on a farm. I don't know. But growing up, my dad had sheep. And I would be called upon to care upon those sheep. And the thing that you learn when you have sheep is they are not the smartest animal in the world. They're not at the top of the animal kingdom species by any means. They're kind of dumb animals. I hate to be sound so harsh. But they, they have this tendency to wander off, and they get themselves into all this trouble because of that wandering. And often a shepherd, they talk about, will have to pull that sheep out of, of a ditch, or that sheep will wander off and be prey to some kind of animals. And friends, God calls us sheep. Probably not the term we want to be called, is it? And it says, we all like sheep. sheep. Everyone is included in, in this indictment and this reality. That's one of the things you see in this passage. We all like sheep. We all try to convince ourselves that we are an exception to the rule. We all wander away from the Lord and his plan for our lives. We all step outside of his boundaries. We all do things that we shouldn't do, and we don't do the things we're called to do. So in word, thought, or deed, in moments of foolishness, weakness, or self-control, self-interest, we all wander away from the Lord each and every day. But an observation number two in this passage says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Wandering is, is deeper than just a lapse in judgment. It's deeper than just making a bad choice here and there. Our wandering is at the core of who we are. 
Our nature is to run away from God. We think we know what is best. We, got, we, we believe that God will hold, hold out on us the things that are really going to bring us happiness in this world. We don't want someone else directing our lives. We're pretty good in the driver's seat. But friends, this is sin. And sin, before it plays out in our behavior, it begins in who we are. Hear that again. Sin, before it plays out in our behavior, it begins in who we are. A man by the name of John Piper said, we sin because our hearts are not satisfied with God. And that's why behavior modification plans just do not work. If I just stop being angry, if I stop lying, if I stop lusting, okay, then I'm right with God. It never works. And I believe that's why in this passage, God speaks of sin with these words, these very difficult, weighty words of transgressions and iniquities. He wants to remind us that sin is at the depth of, a, of our lives, at the core of who we are. That, friends, we are all like sheep who have gone astray. We've turned our back to God and gone our own way. And this wandering has led us all to the place where we cannot get back to God on our own. And so again, Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What Jesus did is he did what we could not do for ourselves. Friends, he took on our punishment. He took on our shame. He took on our guilt. He took on our sin, the place that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve, he took upon himself. He offered his life in substitution for us. A wonderful theologian named John Stott, he wrote this, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. What an amazing thing that the God of all glory, the sinless, spotless one, would come and see that we needed salvation and he would pay the price for us. And when Jesus Christ took the, the, the sin of our lives upon himself, he said, now it is satisfied. God's wrath is satisfied. His punishment is satisfied. He says in verse 11, my righteous servant will justify many. What we need to understand is that Jesus is both just and the justifier. Often we don't want to see God's justice. We say, well, God you know, turn a blind eye to that thing that I did, but we really down deep don't want God to do that, do we? If you've ever experienced injustice, if you've ever experienced pain from others, if you've ever experienced oppression or hurt, we want to see those things being brought to justice. And God takes that just nature of ourselves that we deserve to be eternally separated from God and instead he places our punishment and he becomes the justifier. Our penalty is placed on him and we are seen as free. Our penalty has been paid in full. And John 10, 10, Jesus, John 10, Jesus says this in verse 17, he says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. When Jesus went to the cross, it was not because of the power of the rulers of the day. Think about it. The one who authored, spoke creation into being, could he not have called upon the the hosts of heaven to free him if he wanted to? But Jesus willingly, he went to the cross and he suffered and died for us. And one of the most beautiful things is what that did. I was listening to Tim Keller preach on this passage and he picked up on verse 11, something that I hadn't seen. He says these words, after he had suffered, he will see the light of light and be satisfied. And he shared what an incredible thing that that Jesus would leave the glories of heaven and experience all the things of suffering and persecution on this earth. And not only that, when he died, it says that he was separated from his father's love while he laid in that tomb. But after that, after he had gone through all that, Jesus was satisfied. Why? He was satisfied because of what it did for us. His love was so extravagant that to know that you have the opportunity now to receive what he did on the cross for us and be made right with God, to now be following after the good shepherd, that is what brought satisfaction to our Lord and Savior Jesus. For some people, you're still seeking after who this Jesus is. You're trying to make sense of who he is and you're wondering, is he worth following? I want to encourage you that if you are seeking after the Lord and trying to make sense of this, this is God at work in your heart. And that you are to, I just want to encourage you to keep seeking. And maybe today is even the time where you've kind of got to that place where you're hearing God say, you know what, I need to receive this, Lord. I can't do it on my own. I need to receive the salvation that only he can bring because I want to receive the life that he gives. If there's someone here like myself who can help you on that journey, please talk to us and let us help you take that next step. For others, we might be walking along this life and we've been finding that, you know, I'm kind of following my own way. I'm having a hard time having Jesus be the one who leads me as the good shepherd. And today, God's just calling out to saying, I have good and perfect plans for you. And you need to be at that place where you simply allow God to do his great and marvelous work in you. Friends, do you believe in the message of of this deliverer, Jesus? You see, to believe is to entrust yourself fully into his hands. He loves you with a perfect and eternal love. And we can see that on the cross. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for myself, is that we would enter into this story that brings true life, true healing, and true peace. We'd enter into his salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we're humbled by this message that you brought hundreds of years before Jesus came to earth. 
that the prophet Isaiah saw the person of Jesus, saw his glory, and was able to point people to the promise that you give. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who keeps your promises. And in the person of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to see him more fully. Lord, that we would see him as, as our deliverer. And Lord, that we would not follow out of, of obligation or burden, but Lord, we'd follow because we have experienced the depth of your love for us. And so God, move in our hearts. Help us to see you more clearly and help us to trust and believe in you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning, we get to enter into a time where we see the love of Jesus and we get to experience it together. You see, in the Lord's Supper, what we see is that Jesus offered his life, his body, as the bread that would nourish us. In the cup, we see that, that Jesus offers his blood. He spills it out for us so that we could experience forgiveness and we could experience his new life. And today, we have the opportunity to come and remember what Jesus did for us. But not only remember what he did for us, but he promises that his grace would be with us. We get to experience his grace once again as we participate in this together. And so whether you're here in this place, you're at home, I encourage you to take the cup, that you find a cup or find some juice and some bread, and let's enter into this time of communion together. Let's take some time to prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper. to your table that you've asked us to remember. God, would you bless this bread and this cup that all that receive today, God, would know your grace and your love and your mercy. Amen. Amen.